back, everyone. It's another week of the Young and the Rowdies. It's your boy, Patrick Young. Always blessed, always thankful to be able to bring this great content to you guys. Thank you so much for subscribing and sharing. Um, if you know a Gator fan, if you know someone that would love sports stories and just journeys of awesome people that have experienced great life lessons and just great journeys through the game of basketball and sport in general, uh, please continue to check out this show. Um, this week's guest, this week's guest is going to be a, I'm super excited. It's one of my former coaches. It's, um, he was uh, always just so much energy. He's the reason I understand how defenses work. Uh, the reason I came became such a great defensive player was his impact on me uh, my freshman year at the University of Florida. Uh, he, he was a uh, assistant coach from Florida from 2004 to 11. Uh, the year that we were so close to making it to the Final Four, my my freshman year, Butler uh, knocked us out. Shelvin Mack put a three ball right in my face. <laughs> I won't forget that. Uh, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome our next guest here, Larry Shy. How you doing, Coach Shy? What's happening? I am doing great. You look great. It's great to be back in the Gator Nation. It is great to be back. I see you're, you're rocking the uh, Dallas Mavs uh, tee right there. Looking pretty good on you. I got to alternate between Florida, Wyoming, the Mavs. Those were my last three stops and, and all three great stops, really interesting stops. Were you, what year was uh, Doncic? This is his third year. So you were there when he got drafted, correct? Yeah. You know, I was so lucky. I, I signed a three-year deal and then I was offered another three-year deal, but the NBA just wasn't, uh, we can get into that later. It just wasn't right for mama shy. Um, yeah. If you've been a, college head coach's wife you, you have the kids over all the time you bring the dog to practice you travel on the charter with papa shy to the games and then in the nba if you're a wife literally you're a season ticket holder and wow. i just didn't think that was fair but i will tell you what a great run 42 years in college three in the nba don chick's rookie year and he actually stayed in our same apartment complex Oh, wow. And Burks last year. So I, I got a great taste at the end of that journey. Yeah, it sounds like it's like an, an awesome journey. You said 42 years coaching? In the college game. Only college. 11 as a head coach. You know, uh, 24 as a, as a very uh, happy and loyal assistant coach. Um, and you know what? A lot of great things in the college game that I do miss still today but the landscape has really changed, as you well know, Patrick. Oh, yeah. I'm Goodness gracious. You know, obviously, we're going to backtrack, but just your thoughts on just the current state of what's changed from the transfer portal to now, like, that is – would you say it has even the, the playing field? And, and also, now the NIL has changed where players in, can make – uh, money off of their name, image, and likeness. You know, what? what is your perspective on these changes that have happened so far? Well, like all changes, there will be a, a, a period of time that's just a period of adjustment. And that's, that's probably likely to go on for the next three to five years. Um, yeah. Many of the changes seem to be very positive, but Generation Y in general is a different group. And they've been treated differently. They've been taught differently. And thus, they need to be coached differently. So, you know, the idea that uh, you would either, uh, in all situations, you can flee, you can flow, or you can fight. 
And that generation, if things aren't going well, they sort of have been geared to just move on and yeah. flee. Uh, yeah. And this is going to affect coaches because how hard you push, how much trust you develop will depend on if somebody is at your place just to audition for six months, like Duke or Kentucky has experienced these last eight years, nine years, or um, is there a period where I, I want to grow? I, I think of you, you're a great example. You would be an outlier right now because your numbers weren't great as a rookie. We loved you. We knew you were going to be great, but you were willing to stay the course. You were willing yep. to be part of a process. And I think people need to look now when they're doing their recruiting, even though there's so many changes, does this person want to be part of us or does this person just want to come here to audition? And uh, there's a fine line, Patrick. It's a fine line. It's so interesting because from the coach's aspect, you have your philosophy, your term. And, you know, you, you don't want to be too rigid because, as you said, you know, every player can't receive coaching the same way. Uh, but your principles and your core foundation, you know, you, you stick to that because some players, they'll come through and it, it just won't work for them. And that's just probably going to be the way it is. You know, you don't waste the energy. Obviously, send a player on their way if it doesn't work out. But, you know, I, I see it from the perspective of the players as well, because sometimes you'll go to a situation, maybe it was your dream school, and it just didn't work out. Maybe just the system wasn't the right fit or whatever. You know, they ended up recruiting some other guys all over you or whatever it may be. You want to get a break or, or a new fresh start. You're, you're dead on. I don't know. I think every year is going to be a little bit different. I don't think anyone's going to have the exact formula uh, for it. Uh, but it's it's a, a definitely a new, interesting dynamic. I think a, a lot more coaches are going to go on the transfer portal. We've seen that a lot. Coach White uh, brought in six guys out of the transfer – or four guys, five guys out of the transfer portal this year. Um, and I think Arkansas brought in a lot. And almost everyone in the SEC has brought in a lot. Even Coach Cal went deep in – the transfer portal. And I think this is interesting. Yeah, they don't want to put any caveats on the transfer rule, but uh, uh, Shavir Wheeler is leaving Georgia and goes straight to Kentucky, <laughs> you know, going to be able yeah, to impact. When that was developed, it could have been in the handshake line after the last game. Yeah, I know. Right. Isn't that wild? So, um, but it's, it's definitely an interesting landscape. Um, I wonder how much better, we could have been if, you know, some of the guys that we had to sit out, they were able to play right away coming into that, that next year. But, you know, it all worked out really well. So, so Coach, where, people like, where, where are you right now? Well, we're back in South Carolina, about 30 miles north of Clemson and maybe 40 miles south of Asheville, right in the mountains on Lake Kiwi. Um, you know, what's interesting is when, when we won the championship out west, cut the nets down in Vegas with – Larry Nansen crew. Um, it was at that point, and I had told Pam, look, if we leave now, maybe we'll get in the Hall of Fame uh, here at Wyoming. But I said, I, I know how this works. If we stay a couple more years, because we had five more years on our contract, but if we stay, they're not going to love Papa Shy quite like they love him now. And so mm. with that said, Pam, I said, look, you've been, you know, we've been together 44 years at that time. I said, sweetheart, go pick out wherever you feel we need to be. Huh. I never even saw the home, but all three of my boys 
uh, went to Clemson, graduated from Clemson. Two of them played for me for a year. And so we felt like this was a perfect look. Uh, really, we'll leave here wherever we are and pass away here and be able to pass this on to the three kids because this is really where they call home. What a blessing. How are he, uh, your father to uh, Jeremy, Jeffrey, and Philip, uh, the, the boys? I, I got to know Jeremy a little bit when he was here with Coach Driscoll at UNF. How, how are the boys doing? They're all doing great. You know, they, as many people experienced, they had a rough time during the pandemic. And yeah. all three at some point lost their jobs. And, you know, thank God we're all blessed. They all got better ones now. But Jeremy's in Charlotte. He's got two of our little grandbabies, a little young lady and a little boy. Uh, Jeff is in Charleston, South Carolina, with his wife and two grandbabies for us. And then Phillip's up in Asheville. So everybody's somewhat close. We're just far enough that we don't do their laundry anymore, but it's a great <laughs> feeling. And I got to tell you, you know, everybody brags on their grandkids, and I love them to death. But I think watching these two boys become fathers is even more exciting because, yeah. uh, boy, I can remember those early Halloween days when, uh, when they were not the daddies. Yeah, I can imagine. It's really cool how that, how that comes full circle. I was actually uh, in North Carolina two, three weekends ago. I was in uh, Highlands. Highlands, North Carolina. It's beautiful. Yeah. The mountains well, there. This is a great part of the country, and we loved it. And, and the, you've got three seasons. You've yeah. got a, a, a nice short fall. You've got a long spring and summer, and then you, you have a very just a very tiny winter. In fact, we spent ten years coaching at Clemson, yeah, uh, both an assistant and a head coach, and we saw snow come down two times in ten years, but it never landed long. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely loved the, the colors as well as the ability to like be so close to nature and just the hiking. Um, it, I was, my girlfriend and I, we were going through Glen Falls. There's a trail and uh, we went, we did Whiteside Mountain um, a few days before that. And there was a lot of people, it's very well mapped out. Um, there's uh, some really good kind of infrastructure steps and in every now and then that you walk through there. Then we go do Glen Falls. And there, I mean, at, at Whiteside, there was a lot of people. I mean, we were running into people all the time. Uh, at Glen Falls, we saw a few people at the beginning. Then after that, we were just on our own, walking through a lot of water and whatnot. And we were walking. We walked for about an hour or so. And then at one point, we're going up, uh, and then we hear start hearing some noise. <laughs> and we're like, she's like, babe, is that is that a human sound? I said, uh... I don't think so. She said, let's get out of here. <laughs> but we're, I mean, like, oh, crap. we're in neighborhood here neighborhood. in the mountains. And I got to tell you, we're on, we're on several acres here. Uh, uh, we've had bears and bear cubs in our backyard. We've had coyotes. We've ha we often have deer in the front and backyard. I mean, we're out here amongst them, but we yeah. love it. You know, you, you've been in the fast lane for 45 years of coaching. Some of my friends think we're nuts because we're out here 25 minutes from the nearest grocery store, but we love it. And the people up here have been wonderful. So uh, after all these years, it's sort of payback time. I think Pam's getting a little tired of me. I sort of missed the college game. I don't know if the NBA was my fit, but 
Um, this has been great. It's been a year and a half. I stepped away from the coaching at the Mavs literally five months before this virus hit. Wow. So if we had to be somewhere, we're sort of blessed to be out here where we were able yeah. to sort of be on our own, take hikes, uh, jump on the boat when we wanted to, but at least awesome. do some things that were healthy. That's awesome. So coach, I'm, uh, I'm ready to dive in, ready to dive in on just the story of where you, uh, where you started, how you got into basketball, um, you know, obviously to, to the point now, cause you've, uh, you know, on, you've had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different coaching positions. I would yeah, say this young lady had uh, had fourteen homes until now. So, and this is definitely our last. We'll yeah. lay our heads down on this one at the end. But you know what? I started very early. I was a, a I was always the smallest guy in the team in high school. Wooster, all, all city player in Cleveland. Went to a little school college of Worcester. We had a great run. I met my wife of now 44 years. So we had, we had a, or I'm sorry, 46 years. We had a great run there. And I decided later in my uh, college uh, career, I, I wanted to coach. The people that I dramatically re respected the most were coaches. They weren't the wealthiest. In those days, a high school coach made the same as a college coach because wow. you know tv hadn't entered the picture and right. shoe companies and those endorsements and so you really had to decide do you want to teach and be a high school coach but have your summers off or do you want to be a college coach recruit in the off season but not have to teach those were the two decisions so I'm, i immediately went into coaching uh got my master's at the university of akron and then it was a lot of different runs uh we got married we took our uh, Volkswagen rabbit and our dog from Cleveland, Ohio to the University of Utah with Jerry Pym for six months. And then I got my first full-time coaching job back home where we were from at Cleveland State University. Um, you know what? We had a great run there. Two first-round draft choices from Cleveland State, Darren Tillis, Frankie Edwards. And that's where I probably got some eyes dotted where people started to recognize, boy, Either this guy can recruit or he's gotten lucky. It was probably a combination of both. I joined uh, Gary Colson, one of the greatest offensive coaches I've ever been with at New Mexico, right after the biggest scandal in the history of college sports. Norm Ellenberger had gotten some major difficulties with the University of New Mexico. And I joined Gary for six years out West. We averaged 22 and a half wins a year. We had a great run there. And then I left and joined Rick Barnes uh, in the wild, wild Big East, in the Big East that you would have fit in perfect because there was a fight every night, Patrick. And, that, and those fights weren't just for rebounds either, my friend. But a great run with Matambo, Morning, Coleman, you name it. Uh, we had a wonderful six years there. One, uh, the only uh, Big East championship that uh, Providence had ever had, 94. 94. And then uh, Billy Bob Barnes, Rick Barnes decided we were going to leave and go to the South, where we've never been, to this place called Clemson. And my kids fell in love with it. We fell in love with it. We had three years. Now, Patrick, Papa Shai had been an assistant coach 24 years. And I finally got my first head coaching job at the University of Wyoming. 
we had a Cinderella year. We got lucky. We won a lot of games. I think it was 19 and 8 or something like that. 97, 98. Yes. And Rick Barnes shocked everybody. Called me one night, 11 p.m., go shy. What are you doing? I said, well, I'm in the hot tub with my three boys. He said, I'm getting on a plane at midnight. I'm taking the Texas job tomorrow. What? And he said, Shy, you got 48 hours. If you want to come back, they want you to come back and be the head coach. Wow. I knew Wyoming was a better, and it is a better basketball job. It really is. It is it's the only, uh, I don't know if you know this, Wyoming's the only state in America that only has one four-year university. So, wow. I mean, they, they worship their Cowboys. But anyways, I went back. Served as head coach five years. Um, I got to tell you this, uh, one of the toughest, uh, most embarrassing, demeaning feelings is to be fired, especially in the ACC. It's the mecca of basketball. It always has been and probably likely always will be. But um, sometimes, as you've always read and heard about, in, in, in your darkest moments, um, some wonderful things happened, and that's when Billy D called. Um, fortunately, two of my best friends were two of his best friends, uh, Jeff Van Gundy and Herbie Sendick, and they said, uh, Billy, you, you need to hire Shy. He'd be a perfect fit, and the rest is history. I, I, Patrick, I got to be honest. I never thought I'd leave Billy. I loved him and still do, and his family, and those were precious years. Um, but when my best friend or one of my best friends was the AD at Wyoming, he called. I knew before our game that I was going to go back. I just didn't want to say anything. And God, I would have loved to have gone to the final four with you. And we should have yeah. been there. But I went back to Wyoming. We had sort of an ax to grind. Uh, I had left quickly. Um, I wanted to come back and see if we could repay him tenfold. And boy, we got lucky. And we really did. Um, a lot of people have asked Patrick, you know, your highest moments, uh, you, you know, the two national championships are priceless at Florida, but I gotta be honest, my greatest moment in basketball was hugging my wife after we shocked everybody and cut the nets down in Vegas at Wyoming and won the Mountain West, the first ever Mountain West championship at Wyoming with five seniors, all of whom graduated and then a special senior, Larry Nance Jr., who about two months later would be a first-round draft choice. For an older coach, it's like yeah. the beer commercial. It doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. And then, yeah, that was 2015. Who'd you end up winning, beat, winning, uh, beating in the championship? We beat San Diego, uh, San Diego State, who was the premier uh, school at that time. And we beat them 44 to 42. You actually would have loved that encounter. Um, and then obviously went to the NCAA and had a great run. Um, it was a year later. I promised uh, one of our young men who was MVP of the tournament, Josh Adams, who, who I think would have left Wyoming if I would have chosen to leave then. I said, I'll stay for your senior year, but that's it. And yeah. um, I gave away, I know Mama Shy is not happy about it. I gave away a lot of money. I had five more years on my contract, but it was time and she bought this place. And wouldn't you know, about two weeks after she bought it, that was when I got a call from Rick Carlisle. He said, Shy, 
you know, I had gotten my assistance, a five-year contract so that they were all safe. And I, I, I stepped away and he goes, shy, nobody does that. What you did, you deserve to come with me in Cuban. You'll love the MBA. And so I jumped into it. Um, I, I had no regrets. It's something I have, was always intrigued about. But I wasn't, I was sort of a fish out of water. I wasn't a great fit. Um, I think I always- it's Completely different style, you know? There's some similarities and differences if you ever want to get my take. But honestly, I, I really missed, I thought you impacted, your impact was so far greater in college. These are 18, 19 year old young men. Uh, you're teaching time management, how to deal with a young lady. Um, how to prepare for the game of life yeah. beyond just special situations and more than just being a coach, you're you're being a man maker and mentor in a, in that sense as well. Right. And in the NBA, these guys are fathers, they're husbands. Right. They've already been through much of what we just said. You know, like I said, a little later, if you want to, we can talk about maybe one or two or three similarities and differences. Uh, of the two levels, but I miss it. I mean, you go ahead. I mean, you're if it's fresh in your mind, might as well go ahead and dive into it. Because I know Coach Grant, uh, before I know Coach Grant had a similar when he left uh, Alabama and went to Oklahoma City with Coach Donovan, just that the aspect was just so different and still learning a lot, but just wasn't. I, I don't know if it was extremely fulfilling for him and what he had been used to for so long in the college, in the college realm. So yeah, I, I would love it, your insight and in, in, uh, what you've noticed through your experience. Sure. And real quick, you know, Donnie uh, Jones and, and Anthony are still two of my dearest friends. I did fly up for about a week uh, to Dayton to just observe and then visit with their staff and their team, their Cinderella year. And boy, yeah. were they good. Well, some similarities, first of all, locker rooms at the high school, college and pro level are all the same now yeah. in the old days the college locker room was where you had soap fights fist fights dirty jokes talked about the coaches but the one common denominator was a lot of communication and now if you go into a high school college or pro locker room they're all one and the same everybody's got their headphones on they're listening yeah. to my stuff uh using their thumbs my followers, it's all me, me, me. And if you think about it, that's completely opposite of what a coach's job is. We're, we're there to bring the we out of the me. So yeah. that's a tough piece. The, the next similarity is that the greatest players, the Dirk Nowitzkis, the Donchicks, they want to be pushed. The very best, I think I had 23 first round and second round players over the course of those years. The very best college players and the very best NBA players, they all want to be pushed they, for different reasons, but they want to be pushed to their max. Yeah. And then I think the, 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 the last comparison would be press conferences. I listen to a lot of press conferences, college and pros. I can really plug my ears or close my eyes. I can tell you every cliche that's going to be used because everybody says the same thing. You know, we're going to run and stun. We're going to shoot threes, no twos. We're going to, we're going to pick the pace up, tempo, uh, open the floor. Well, guess what? There's a lot of different ways to win 
in college. Thank God. In the NBA, there's only one way to play, and all 30 teams play the same way. Let's get into some opposites. You know, first of all, the game in the NBA is completely different, the game, because of the 2.9 rule. See, in college, we yeah. can play a zone, and we can keep Joe Kim, Noah, Patrick Young, or yeah. Larry Nance Jr. at the dotted line, the whole possession, you're poison. We can play any tempo we want, and we can force somebody else to. We can play a straight zone. We can play four guys in man and one Patrick Young roaming the dotted line. You can't do that in the NBA. You can, They say they play zone. They don't play zone. They have to match up out of it. They have to touch and get out of the lane every 2.9. And so there's a reason. It's in the world of entertainment. They have to get these great offensive players, yeah. dribble lines to the rim, they have to get people scoring 40. They have to get triple doubles. But I got to tell you, I miss the college game because people are winning different ways. Virginia might win a little slower and ugly like we did out west. Yeah. Syracuse might win with a 2-3 zone every and all games. And Shaka and some other people, uh, Huggins, may win with pressing after makes or misses. But the common denominator in the college game they do play different. Um, another difference is refereeing. Like yeah, true. In the college game, if you post up or if a guard posts up, they're not going to let anybody touch or push you. One hand, two hand, automatic fouls, a lot of fouls inside. On the other hand, they let you bump a little bit to guards in college. Completely opposite in the NBA because they have, for entertainment purposes, they yeah. have to get more scoring they're not going to allow you to touch LeBron or, or any of these great, great offensive players out front because they want them to wheel and deal. On the other hand, watch LeBron James the next time he tries to post at eight feet. He's going to end up 20 feet when he catches it because they don't want the ball there. They don't want play stop. They don't want fouls inside because they don't want the ball going inside. Those are two completely opposite dynamics in terms yeah. of the refereeing. And the last one, so far away, this, yeah. This may right. surprise you, my friend. The last one hurt the most for me. You know, I bitched for 45 years the pressure of college coaching. You got to win every game, every night. Oh, you yeah. You got to win every night. So let me tell you something. The more you win in college, logically, the better your recruiting class could be. Yes. Guess what? The NBA, the more you lose, the better shot you got at a good player. Eight to ten teams a year have to. I, it, it killed me, but I understood it. It's a business. They have to lose. They have to continue to lose from February till the end of the year because it only makes sense. The worse you do, the yeah. better guy or guys you can get. And I got to be honest with you. That it's broke tough. every core I was right. ever taught. It killed me. So, therefore, be careful what you wish for. Because I know, right? I missed the pressure to win. Gosh, yeah, that is so true. Because uh, when uh, Sam Presti, not Sam Presti, who, who was the guy over at, uh, with Philly that he got fired, that, you know, trust the process that they were just yeah. losing yeah. for four straight seasons and then it hasn't equated to a championship but look they're competitive now they're yeah. very competitive they're top three in the east every year 
but at what for the fans for the morale like you just accept we're just gonna accept losing like we just like we just what are we stepping out here for what you know i want to compete and win but i get it you know if you're thinking long term yeah you know getting that better player that's kind of the way but i love how it's like a kind of a drawing at the end of i don't know the top 10 worst teams the top eight worst teams was not just straightforward that the team that does the worst is automatically gonna get rewarded you know there's still some some luck in that but uh, but they, pro- they have provided some um, momentum and, and a little bit of impetus in terms of percentages to get the higher picks and the tournament at the end of the year now that they've added a couple of ball clubs. They, they, and they're trying. But I, I got to tell you, when, when internally I'm, I'm being told in my own mind, we got to lose 17 of our last 20 games. Oh. It, 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 it sounded crazy, but uh, these young analytic guys in the yeah. Dallas office that I would meet with in the afternoons when all the players and many of the coaches had left, they, they tuned me in. They said, look, Papa Shai, this is how it is. And if you really want, you, you need to be prepared many times to have two, three seasons of really disappointing losing seasons to build to try to win it all. Um, you know, Patrick, there's been books made, you know, good to great. It, it always killed me because I, the nicest compliment when, when I was a young kid of an older person who passed away was, boy, what a good man. What a good right. one. And now, unless it's great, like Charles Barkley's always saying, you know, unless you have a ring, I, I'm not buying. You know, being good is good. Uh, uh, and better is better. But this idea that the ring is the only uh, choice of the day, I've I've never bought. To me, we only had one sign up all those years at Wyoming because we were the underdogs. You know, it's not an easy place to recruit when it's minus 35 for about six months. But we had one sign up said hard work and intellect will defeat talent when talent doesn't show. And I would tell them, guys, I don't care what the sport is. A lot of times talent doesn't show or the Yankees would win every year or the Celtics and the Lakers would win every year year. or Kentucky and Duke with all these one and dones the last decade would win every game. And, and, And it doesn't always work that way. You show me a man or a woman that works their tail off. You show me a man or a woman with a high intellect, they got a shot. Before we move on, let me tell you guys a little bit about our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up with Bet Rivers yet, now is the time because they are offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is that they require just one play through to turn your bonus into cash money. With their new Rush Pay instant approval, withdrawing your winnings is safer, more secure, and more reliable. With basketball season tipping off, get in on the action by going to betrivers.com today or by downloading the Bet Rivers iOS app. Must be 21 years or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLING. And I would always tell those guys, like the movie Dumb and Dumber, so you're saying we got a chance? Yeah, we got a chance. You're, you're so right. Just... On, on on every aspect. That's awesome. That's the only sign that you had up 
Um, because it's, you know, how, you know, you can, you can, the most talented person is going to need, like your talent alone is not enough, especially nowadays, you know, everyone's talented, but who, who has, and not only just the, the work and the intellect, but how you treat people along the way, the relationships. I've heard many of the stories, like you, you look, look at Udonis Haslam. Not only has he been, a, you know, a good player, but his relationships and his influence and the way that he's treated people has helped him to stay in the league. Is he still as obviously he's in his 21st season or whatever it may be. So obviously he's not, but because he, he, he planted those roots and those seeds with his hard work. Cause I remember there was a, a story. I hope to get him on the, on here to tell about it. I think he had came back to try out for the heat or something like that. And he's just like diving out of bounds and just doing all this kind of crazy stuff. And then Pat Riley's just like, yeah, we're keeping this, we're keeping this guy just because that it wasn't about the time. And it's not, you know, whenever I get a chance to talk to kids, I'm like, if this ball is loose on the ground, does it take any talent for any of you guys just to go dive on it? That's, or if this, this rebounds up there, does it, does it take you any, any, is that about talent or is that just about how bad you want it? Does it, does it, it just takes, it takes this, I mean, you, and you preach this to us. This is my first understanding of white line defense, you know, of, being disciplined and us, the white line was our center. It didn't matter about talent at that point. Does, does it help? Does, you know, having all these intangible things help? Absolutely. But being in the right position, showing to the ball, boxing out, uh, being in the right help, that's the intellect, you know, that's playing smart. And that's another thing that makes LeBron James so special. Yes, he's super talented, but he is so smart. He studies the game. And, uh, you know, definitely a turn. It, it was so bad, Coach, after I left Florida. And then I went on to I went on to the NBA for a little bit. Um, first off, adjusting to – and, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, when he says, like, the, the 2.9 rule, he's talking about there's a defensive three seconds. There's an offensive and a defensive three seconds in NBA, in the NBA that's not in college basketball. You know, they see you saying, I could just load up the paint. I could just stand there on defense. I wouldn't have to worry about anything. In the NBA, you have to get both feet out. And they call it a 2-9. You, you got this mental clock in your mind of one, two, out, back in. Or as, as the big guy or somebody's coming coming through, you tag him. You touch him. And then that clock, that 2.9, there's a three-second, it, it restarts. But going from having those systems in place, and then I went overseas to Europe. And my first year in Turkey, and um, – we were terrible. <laughs> First off, we were, we were so bad. We were so bad. We didn't have any system in place. I come there. I come there midseason, and uh, my coach, he's Turkish, and he actually just won the Euroleague. So he's uh, he, he's the coach of uh, Anadolu FS now, the team in Istanbul, Turkey. And we just didn't have. I was just like, what am I doing out here? Like, you want me to show hard on the screen, stay back? Where's the rotations? Who's tagging it? Like, there was just no structure. And I'm just like, if, if a coach doesn't set his team up to success, the players got no chance. Of course, you can, you can be talented, but if you don't know, that's why it's so important, you know, players being able to buy into that system. But if the coach doesn't have a system at all, <laughs> you're, just, you're just out there just, just hoping, playing some street ball pretty much. But um, it was just really interesting from going from all that structure and seeing, like, and being used to that. 
because we're doing drills every day. You know, we're doing white line drills. We're doing shell drills just to like make sure we know. And then I go to, all right, just, you know, we're just going to try to score more points than the other team. <laughs> Interesting dynamic there, Coach, for sure. Well, I'm sure it was different. But, you know, there's something to be said. Um, look, uh, I would always work with our guys in the summer and in the fall. And I would say before we could, I'm sort of a Coach Knight disciple in this regard. Uh, uh, he wrote a, a, a book about a, well, maybe 10 years ago, the, the power of negativity. And yep. it sounds crazy, but I got to be honest. I wanted my team to make sure at Wyoming, we knew what a loser sounds like, what a mm -hmm. loser looks like, and what a loser acts like. And I would constantly, we kept it on the board. The players came up with 15, 18 traits. Wow. And I said, I want to make sure we know what goes into losing before we can talk about winning a championship or what goes into success. And then that way, when chaos, and chaos is coming for all of us during the season, when it comes, and it will come, hopefully we'll know what it looks like, what it sounds like, what we act like, and then how we can try to deter it. And so we spent the whole summer, we kept it on the board, but I think that's a very important that's tool awesome. because of what you said earlier. You've got to know before you can plan on winning and tell your guys how to win, you got to know what goes into losing first. That's awesome. I never thought about that because that's – that's like, um, I think the, the people that, I guess, I don't know if they're the treasury that are able to spot and identify false, uh, false currency or counterfeits. Right. You know, they, they don't, but it's, it's in, in, in an, it, it reminds me of that, but they actually study, they actually study the real thing so much. They don't worry about looking at the counterfeits, but to that same principle, you know, we all kind of see the results and the fruit of winning and everyone knows it, but no, Let's make it so we consciously know what a loser looks like and what is what can be a, you know, John Gordon, an energy vampire, someone that's all about themselves, bad attitude, at the effort level's not there, pointing the finger. I don't know, what, what were some, are there any of the things on that list that just like uh, pop out in the mind right now? That's a really awesome, well, really you know, awesome. And then there's accountability. There's accountability to yeah. that too, which is so good. The one thing over the length of my journey coaching with my wife, I remember telling my kids, because it was devastating to be fired at Clemson. Uh, and you thought everyone's looking at you. Everybody knows this. You're a loser. And, but, but the one common denominator was always, and I think it, it started with my mom and dad making sure we understood right and wrong. And I never wanted Pam or my three boys to ever be in the hall of shame, knowing that I probably would never be in the hall of fame. I've got some dear friends, Patrick, they're very wealthy. Uh, they made a lot of money because of coaching in college and coaching in the NBA. I don't have to tell you that there's a lot there, but I, if you sell what it is your heart and your mind tell you for the sake of just the W or the record, uh, it's not in the end for us at least going to be what I wanted for my kids and my mm -hmm. wife. Like 
I was really worried about that. And as I said, some of my dearest friends right now, I, they may have more wealth, but I got to tell you, they've entered the hall of shame with what it is that they did and or are doing now. And, and that's still a killer. Um, you know, I said earlier, I missed the college game. I, I'd love, you know, at my age, I, I couldn't take over a program again now and, and put the energy and the effort 24 seven. But I, I would still like, uh, like I've got a dear friend, uh, Trent just became, he was the coach at LSU just before you played. Trent Johnson, as Billy used to say, a man's man. He stood for all the right things. He oh, lost man. his job at LSU, but I'll tell you it's a quick story. He just got a phone call about two months ago. One of his former ADs called and said, Trent, I need you on an airplane in 24 hours. We just fired Mark Godfrey. We need somebody for seven, eight months to just do right by the kids, to coach them up, and we'll find a, a full-time coach a year from now. And I, I called him that day and said, you know what? You have to know what you can really do, what you're about, and you have to know what you can't. And I couldn't do the other, but now that's something God forbid one of these morons gets caught doing the wrong thing. Yeah. And somebody says, I need somebody for seven or eight months to just make sure I do right by the kids. I do right at the press conferences and I send them on their way the right way. That's something that, you know, I, I think I would be able to do without flipping and flopping on culture. Yeah. I, and I, I you, you just hit, that's what I love so much about doing this podcast. You know, you just dive into so many, Going into so many um, great things to think of in relation to life, just being rooted in your principles and and not winning is you know I, I don't believe when Vince Lombardi said it's everything, it's the only it's not everything it's the only thing at what cost, at what cost to the relationships to your friends your family the respect of everyone else. What's what's the most you can't you're not taking any of your wins or your losses or your rings or with you. The most important Patrick, thing in life. Patrick, right. here's one for you that in my mind, I, I, people don't know this, and God, they would have killed me when I was coaching at Clemson if I said it, but <laughs> I was a Duke Carolina fanatic early in my career because in my world, they did all the right things. They got many of the best players in the country, many and most of the best young men in yeah. the country, and always were 24 and 5 always with a heartbeat to win a championship, whether they did or not, always. And it killed me. It was like a dagger in the back when it appeared seven, eight years ago that Duke would say, look, I see what Calipari's doing yeah. and I'm going to do that. I think they've taken something crazy, like 45 one and dones in the last seven, whatever it is. And that part killed me because in my world, they did everything right. Guys graduated. Guys loved the university. Loved the student body. Um, one big. Yeah. If they won it all, I don't know. And and for me personally, that that set a tone for me. And and you know now you're you're grabbing guys. You know and they know it's a six month or five month investment. September yeah. March. And that. That's really not my love of the college game. I get why 
just like I said, I understand why we do what we do in the NBA, but that part wasn't for me. Yeah, it, it is difficult because, and like you said, if talent was everything, why, why change what was working? You know, of course, no one is going to, you know, that, that uh, John Wooden level of 10, you know, appear, I don't know if anyone's ever going to do that again. That, you know, what he did at UCLA. But if it was all about the one and dones, then Kentucky would win every single year. Right. And last year, they had their worst season since like 1925 or something like that. So you're, you're absolutely right. You know, you look at Duke and it's just like these outstanding young men, just everyone's shaved, everyone's working, working hard, stay there for a long time. Um, you know, everyone graduates. Why compromise those principles? Because Coach K was able to build the program to a point where it's like, hey, he probably doesn't have to sweat, you know, trying to worry about his recruiting class. So, and now with the, the transfer portal, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think a coach or anyone should have to change their core values and what they, their philosophy in order to, do you need to sometimes make a little pivot to make sure and just maybe use a different wording because some people are more sensitive or some people are need more harder coaching, but to the core of what you believe as a coach and your philosophy, stick with it. And not every player is for you. And not every coach is for each player, but that's okay. You know, at the end of the day, I'd rather look back and have an okay career knowing that I, I stayed the path and I didn't cheat, you know, or in my career. And, and to have those, those, you know, for everyone to have the, know my reputation is like Patrick was consistent. Coach Shai was consistent. He loved us. He showed up every day. Um, I know that he wanted my best for me. And if, even though if it doesn't work out, there was no bad blood in between that. He wished me the best. And, and you know, because you never, and you never know what those connections, like the fact that, you know, I had, a, I had you for one year, but we had a, I loved, <laughs> I, was it your idea with the, um, the charge drill? Was that your drill? Well, I don't know if it was my drill, but I did love the fact that if we can, if we can show early energy every day and we can apply it to the games, because, I was taught in an era that the games are really just an informal practice and we don't need to wear new elbow pads or knee guards or headbands, whatever we look like at practice, that's what we should look like in the game. Yeah. Forget the fact that there's people going crazy. That's what we're there for. And so that, that was some of the madness there, but you hit, you hit home you know, in your case, there was a process. You were there because you wanted to learn more. You want to prepare the game of basketball. You wanted to prepare for the game of life. And many and most of the best programs for many years, that was part of the process. Uh, maybe you wouldn't get it all as a rookie, but you'd get it later as a sophomore junior. On the occasion when there was a super duper ridiculous talent, they went immediately to the NBA as an 18, 19 year old, Moses Malone and Garnett and, and, and LeBron and Dirk. Those guys never played college ball, but the ones that played college ball, they grew, they developed their personality and their goals and their inner culture. And then the last but not least, many and most of them stayed long enough to get very close to a degree. Yeah. And that's what it was about that's what it still will be about 
you're going to get this split at some point. You know, football's not going to share this ridiculous amount of money at some point. Like, they're not going to be able to do that. They're going to split away. And when that happens, maybe, just maybe, the love of the game again will yeah. exceed the love of money. And the mid to low majors and the D2s and the D3s sort of will come together. And that's what college basketball will look like. I, I hope. Because I I, there's an innocence there that I yeah. still love. Yeah, that, I, I hope so. I hope so. Because it, it just seems as though it's gone from one spectrum of, of doing being able to do nothing that kind of had the, the field a little bit kind of level to an extent. And now it's that players can make money and in that our, cause I'm working for another company here, a tech company and our concern or our thoughts were just like this, the NIL might be divisive in uh, the locker room and more of that me, I, my followers type thing that you were talking about in the locker room. And that can somehow trickle over to how, how, how players play, how they relate to each other in the locker room. And you would just hate to see money driving away real relationships and just those teams. Like, I don't know if you'll ever see a team like uh, what I had my senior year of just four guys that went through it all four years um, and really just loved each other. Truly just were there for the love of each other and, and our commitment to the program and the system and, our, our love for the college experience, I hope, and, and to be able to make it to a final four, you know, to, to, cause there's probably going to, there's going to be teams and I guess of, of guys that do stay together, but as far as being able to make it, you know, and, and really enjoy the experience and everyone graduate. Um, I really hope so. Cause it's just, it's just special. You know, once I once you already know, once you leave college, a, whether a coach or as especially as a player, it's just so different. It's truly, truly a business. Yeah, it is. You, you hit it on the nose, and really, that's why I said, you know, our greatest moment was with that championship group out west. Five seniors all graduated that year. Larry gets drafted in the first round. We cut the nets down, and, and, and in Vegas at a school like Wyoming, who wins a championship about once every. I don't know, 30 years. And for me personally, for an older coach, it was just what yeah. you're describing. It was what college basketball was and still is supposed to be. Right. Um, but these new, you know, these new rules, these new changes, this new landscape will all work out down the road. It's just, there's going to be this period of, I don't know how it's going to work yet, but everybody will figure it out. Yeah, it's like you said, we're in that period of transition. I don't know if it's, it might take a, a year or two. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes for, for schools to figure it out. But, um, you know, along your journey uh, before you became an assistant coach, uh, when when did you know, like, I'm ready? Like, when, when were you like, I'm ready to lead and be the guy in charge? Was there a moment that it kind of clicked for you when you felt like you, you, you absorbed enough and you were ready to lead the charge and how you were going to do it? Because – you know, you even in relationships, uh, you know, you might be dating or you're, you're thinking about dating some, or you, you you have friends and you see and you look at their relationships and you're like, I want that. I don't want that thing. Uh, you know, I want to add up to, to figure out what my relationship will be one day. And then, you know, obviously going through the coaching journey, there's things that you will pick up from from coaches you work with and work for 
Um, when, how were you able to figure out your philosophy? And then when did you know that you were ready to, to step up and, and take that position? Well, I thought earlier than I, my 24 years as being an assistant, I had a, a, a numerous interviews and almost all ended after the first or second, or if they flew Pam and I to their university in front of different committees in those days. And it would be, you know what? Everything looks perfect. Everything sounds perfect, but shy. We got to be honest with you. You've never been a head coach, you know, and you want to sit there and say, look, man, until somebody offers me one, I'm not going to be a head coach. <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but it finally did happen. And I think each time I was with a different coach, I wasn't with that many, but, you know, Ray Derringer for six years, then Gary Colson for six years, then Rick Barnes for nine years. Um, each time, because I'm learning something a little different, I thought I was a little readier. I got to be honest with you, though, being a head coach, and when I finally did get the offer at the University of Wyoming in the old WAC, um, I, I will tell you this, I thought I was absolutely ready, practice, recruiting, public speaking, fundraising, everything except the game. Because as an assisting coach, you're sitting next to the head coach. You might yeah. cuss or might get excited every once in a while, but you're not running the show. And all of a sudden, I'm the head coach of Wyoming. And then, wouldn't you know, nine months later, I'm the head coach in the ACC. And all of a sudden, you, do I stand or sit? Do I keep my coat on or not? Do I watch Gary Williams and Coach K? Or do I not pay attention? Do I listen or watch the refs? Or do I not pay attention? Do I call all the out-of-bounds plays, all the substitutions? And so there were so many different wow. dynamics that that took a little time. And honestly, yeah. I thought I was a way better coach after being with Billy D for those six years, returning to Wyoming, you know, in my late 50s. And at that point, you know, here's what we're going to try to do. We're the underdogs. We play at, I don't know if you know this, the Wyoming court's the highest court in America. We're 7,300 feet above sea level, almost a mile and a half. Ooh. So there was an advantage there. People got on me early, coach, are you going to press? You have to press here. You have to take advantage of elevation. And, and, and I said, look, there's two ways to tire a player and a coach on the opposing team. If I make them guard 20 more seconds than they want every possession, they're not going to like me. They're not going to like my team. And I didn't get real tired. And so we chose that because we thought it gave us with who we had and the San Diego States, UNLV and New Mexico's in our league and the talent they had. We thought that gave us the best chance. It wasn't necessarily like I wanted to play. I would have rather played like Billy D did, you know, Billy ball back and forth. But we, didn't, we weren't going to have Brewer, Noah Horford, yeah. you know, uh, and, and those two magnificent guards, uh, Torian Green and Lee Humphrey, who could knock yeah. it in. We didn't have that. And we weren't going to out-talent those other people. So I always thought the sign of a really good coach was, did he evaluate his own guys? And did he evaluate who he's playing against? Did he give his team the best shot to win each night? Even if it meant changing a little bit, because this will give us 
the best shot to win. And I, yeah, I had to talk my guys in because we didn't play an overly appealing way to play out West. But I got to tell you, it was effective for who we had and who we were fighting. That's, and that's the, you know, that's what you got to, you have to do as a coach. You know, it's not that you probably didn't want to and think about it, but it's like, hey, that's not the best for the roster I have, for the role, for their strengths. For, and, and you know, it's a good thing you're like, there's other ways. No, nobody wants the guard. I remember when we had, we had Virginia. I think it was my sophomore year in the tournament. And Coach Donovan just had us like, <laughs> made sure we were guarding for 35 seconds. And like, if we made a mistake, he would make us just stand there in the defensive position for 35 seconds. Just like, you got to squat and just, and oh man, I hated that practice, but it, it prepared us for a game where you have to be mentally locked in for 35 and then get the rebound. Because <laughs> guess what? If you don't, you got another 35. Yeah. <laughs> My guys would remind the opponents in the league, you know, pregame, hey guys, I don't think you're going to get your points and your touches. I don't think you're going to get that tonight. And hey guys, we're getting ready to guard because we're going east and west and east and west until the first person makes a mistake. And hopefully it's not going to be us. And they finally got excited about it, which, like I said, it, sometimes it's hard. But, uh, boy, in the end, when we were celebrating. What yeah, you got to be patient. So um, don't want to hold you for too much longer, but definitely wanted to ask you about um, when, what, when Coach Donovan did call you, uh, you know, what was that and just your time at Florida? You know, Coach, like, did you know of him before? Obviously, you knew of him. Uh, but had you had any other, like, react or, you know, interaction with Coach before he called you about coming over to help him out at Florida? Well, I actually had. We talked a little bit when he was at uh, – he had just got the Florida job and I was at Clemson. But it went back to when I coached at Providence, I missed Billy D by one year. Yes. So we had a little bit of overlap there. And then when I, I got to tell you this, you know, I, I was thinking about going back to Virginia with Pete Gillen. Um, you know, when I got fired at Clemson, I stayed out of coaching for nine months because my youngest son, Philip, was a senior in high school and I didn't have the heart to move him at that point. That was tough living in that little yeah. town. Yeah. But it's okay. So I was going to go with Petey um, and I got a call from Billy D. I'm sitting on my pool deck in Clemson. Billy D calls, I've already told you because Herbie Sendek and Jeff Van Gundy had sort of encouraged him to call me. And Jeremy, my oldest son, who was a GA at South Carolina at the time for Dave Odom says, dad, that's Billy Donovan. You better take that job. Yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> and so I told coach, I said, coach, here's the only hesitation I have. Um, you guys are winning 20, 21, 22 games every year. I'm I'm scared I'll mess it up for you. And I said, here's the deal. I'll fly and spend a couple days with you. But Anthony Grant and Donnie Jones have to bless it. They have to feel like this would be a good marriage. Yeah. And I want a dollar less no matter what than they're making because that's how I want to fit in. And boy, it ended up what a blessing and, you know, what a great run. My first day on the job, Patrick, in June of that year, in walks four freshmen, Green, Brewer, Noah, and Horford. Are you shitting me? My wife 
And Christine could have coached those guys. I mean, I mean, come on. And so, uh, you know, two of them played really well as rookies. You know, Horford and uh, Brewer. Brewer started the whole year. Horford only started half the year. But Green and uh, Noah did not play nearly as much as they wanted. Noah had mono and didn't play much. And Green was behind ropes and, and right. had about 15 turnovers of practice. Wow. So it took a while, <laughs> but they, they stayed the course. And you know the rest. Uh, Joe Kim couldn't even get to class on time. That's what I heard. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't get there all the time. But, you know, one common denominator, they were all from great families. Yeah. They were all from sports knowledgeable families and they actually were all way above students well yeah. above those guys were a minus students that probably ended up with 3.0s but could have been even higher um you know you'd see a paper once in a while and i'd be amazed and then they were really blessed they were wow. both articulate and and they were both uh, actually all four of them were really good students and just good people i mean just you know just good kids. I mean, uh, and still men to this day. Uh, definitely got getting a chance to see with uh, connect with Torian Green. Now he's a uh, player development, um, player development with um, the Chicago Bulls. So super excited for uh, for him over there. But Coach Shy, uh, this has been an honor. I could definitely chat with you forever. <laughs> you got you got so much wisdom. Um, it's been a blessing. I'm thankful for the. The year that I had with you, I, I uh, send my family your regards. Uh, they are, uh, everyone's doing well. I'm super jealous that you're in South Carolina. It's awesome. Um, so beautiful. I'm here. Florida, Florida's nice too. We still got we still got some sun, but um, it's been an honor having you on today. And I and uh, what, what else you got planned for the rest of today? Well, today we have uh, Pam's relatives coming. They've never been to our little place here at our lake lake house so they're coming Wednesday so it's it's chores the next 48 hours because I know she's going to want this place looking spotless but I'll get out I'll tell your dad he'd be very proud I get out I, I golf alone uh I don't have the golf alone this will surprise you but I have no patience gee that's a surprise and so I can't stand playing golf for four and a half hours watching the people in front of me measure putts and all that nonsense. So I wait until the afternoon when I, we, we live in the cliffs at the vineyards. There's seven different cliff courses. They're beautiful. And I'll wait. Most of these people like to get up early and play. I'll play in the afternoons alone. I can knock it off in two and a half hours. And you know what? Like I told you before, I competed every day of my life for 45 years. I don't really want to compete on a golf course. I just want to enjoy it. Oh, uh, really? Okay, I'm not great, but tell Pops if he ever wants to take a drive up, I need to come down there and see one of my former coaches, Matt Driscoll, at yes. North Florida one of these days. Tell Pops he needs to drive up here. It's not a bad drive, and we'll play till his heart's content. What's it, I actually have uh, – I'm covering Kentucky and UNF in, uh, in Rupp Arena, which I'm, I'm super excited about. And I love the way you play golf. I hate slow. I hate being out there oh. for forever. Just – let me, I don't, I hate having to wait for the next guy. To, let me just go. Let me, I don't want to be out there all day. I want to play, have some good time, have a drink here and there, and then get home and just be frustrated about how bad I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds familiar too, but you know what? The, this has been great. As I said, I missed the college game. If I could ever help somebody 
in a, you know, a small assistant or consultant role, maybe that was during the year, but not in the summer would be wonderful. But I, I can't lie to you. You know, this young lady was with me at my side for 45 years. I owe her yeah. this kind of time. And it's, it's sort of fun being close enough to our grandkids to see them grow up too. Absolutely. You'd be excellent at television. At, at I did that people. one year in You'd my office. My wife was always so worried that I wouldn't press the buzzer right. And my language would get messed up. So I stayed away from that. Well, I, I think if, if that does circle around, come, I think you would be fantastic. You just, you're such a good orator and just, uh, you know, the game so well, but anyways, coach, I got a jet. Um, this was a pleasure. Um, I sent, will you get your phone number? He should be getting, getting in touch with you pretty soon. Um, everyone, this was Larry Scheidt, the one and only, um, great man, uh, great coach, great person, uh, up in South Carolina, uh, winner of, of bunch of championships and all that good stuff. <laughs> Wait, for, uh, for everyone, continue to share this podcast and don't forget to stay routed.